Welcome to the Keeping Things Real podcast, presented by Spin Master Media, where we bring you all things film, television, and entertainment. This podcast will include full-depth insights of every show and movie that help make an impact in the industry. Plus, we bring in filmmakers and content creators in telling their stories and voicing their journeys into the media world. This episode is brought to you by Anchor, where you can publish your podcast for free. And now, here is your host, Spin Master C. What is up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to the Keeping Things Real podcast presented by Spin Master Media. I am your host, Kobina Apia, coming at you at the WTBU studios in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, hope you're all doing well. I know I am. Uh, you've seen, you know, last week with uh, uh, William Crowley. So thank you guys for tuning in in that. Um, you know, hopefully uh, this will be kind of like a bi-weekly thing, uh, somewhat on Thursdays. So, you know, fingers crossed um, because obviously this um, this podcast is now affiliated with WTBU uh, Radio. So uh, any BU students, like if you want to check out my podcast, definitely go to uh, WTBU's website and you'll see my podcast there. But outside of BU, uh, definitely check me out uh, at Keeping Things Real Pod on Twitter or Instagram and make sure you check it out on YouTube uh, for past episodes. Uh, I'm trying to do this kind of like video interview thing, but apparently my computer is crazy, but, and I'm, and I'm recording on a desktop. So hopefully that will all kind of like, you know, get sorted out in, in some way, but Anyways, uh, I'm going to introduce to you my next guest. Uh, she is a fellow screenwriter, and she just graduated with her master's in screenwriting at Chapman University. Her name is Ali Kitaguchi, and she is uh, one of the best you know, Star Wars fanatics you will ever meet. Uh, and also, she loves The Last of Us as well. So you will definitely hear her talk about you know, her love for the show and you know, her love for Star Wars and just everything in between. So I guess with that being said, said uh, enough of me talking let's just get straight into it shall we because after all we're just keeping things real if you know what i mean Welcome to another episode of the Keeping Things Real podcast presented by Spin Master Media. I'm your host, Kubita Apia, and I got a really great guest for you guys. She's a screenwriter and she is a Star Wars fanatic. And most recently, she watches The Last of Us, oh which gosh, is, a, which yes, is one of the best video game adaptions of all time. So, like, obviously, we're going to be touching upon that uh, because episodes one through six is out. And, you know, we're going to we're going to touch upon like the big moments and the, the little sad moments and and the crazy moments, too. You know, um, <laughs> this is I, 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 I got to say, like, before I just introduce this guest, like, it's just one of the greatest like video game adaptions of all time. Not just that, but just one of the best video games of all time, um, because in case you guys don't if you got, in case you guys don't know The Last of Us, um, we're probably going to kind of like, you know, delve deep into that in probably in the next 15 minutes or so. So just 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 bear with me. Just stay tuned for that. But anyways, back to my guest. So joining me all the way from California, joining yep. me is Ali Kitaguchi. What's up? What's up? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for thanks for coming on the show at, at a at a pretty at a pretty, you know, good time. <laughs> A <laughs> great time to come on. So much great content out right now and so much more coming down the pipeline too. The perfect time to do this. Oh man, cuz like you cuz like you mentioned like I think I think before we even like started recording, I think like you thought it was like 6:30 on the west, on the west coast, but not in Eastern I did. time. <laughs> 
Well, to be fair, I am from Maryland, so I'm from the East Coast. You're from Maryland? So I am. No, wait, Maryland. hold on, hold on, hold on. What, what, where, which part of Maryland are you from? I'm from Frederick. Oh. I was born in Germantown in Montgomery County, and then I lived in I lived in Frederick for like 16 or 17 years. Uh, I got my undergrad in Cumberland up at Frostburg, so Ooh, okay. I lived All in right. Maryland for like 20 something years, Ooh. and now I'm out in California because I just finished my master's program out here. Ooh, okay. Because I was just but I thought I thought you were about to say Silver Springs because that's where my my uh, that's, my cousin's that's where from. my grandparents lived in Silver Springs. No Spring. way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maryland is not the biggest state, so it's it's pretty fair. Oh, like I, oh, come on. I'm going to expose myself <laughs> as being incredibly on. nerdy. Uh, I bowled competitively for 12 years, and I bowled in Montgomery County. So I spent a lot of time down in Montgomery County especially, and then I was also in a bowling travel league where I just was traveling what? all around Maryland. So, yeah, it's man, you're home state. Go- man, you're good at bowling too? I am. 12 years. 12 years? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, see, what, see, my last semester, like, you know, I'm, I'm in a television program at Boston University. So my last mm-hmm. program is going to be because it's going to be in, in uh, <laughs> I, I LA. I applied to Boston University. You actually applied there. I did, yeah. Dang, I did you get Boston. Did you even get it? Uh, well, actually, I'm trying to think. I only applied to four schools. You know what? Actually, I didn't apply to Boston because I looked at Boston and I looked at Emerson um, <gasps> no. when I was doing when I was looking at my, my undergrad programs because uh, no those were two schools. But I didn't want to be that far north. Uh, yeah, I understand. I completely understand. That. Which it makes no sense because I ended up going to a city named Frostburg for school. So like, mm. I really should have just dealt with it. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually really funny because uh, one of a couple of my friends out here went to Boston and went to Emerson anyway. So if we hadn't met at our our grad program, we would have met in undergrad, which I think wow, is just really funny because we would have been in the crazy. same program in undergrad too. Oh my <laughs> god! No way! I mean, I was thinking about. I, Literally in my mind, I was thinking about you and Emerson when I was applying. I didn't even, I didn't yep. even think about Chapman. I didn't think about uh, USC. I didn't even think about NYU. I just thought about these two schools. And like, I yep. got in, but like, BU gave me a good scholarship. So thanks, BU, for that. Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> shout, shout, out shout out to the great college, college of the communication. <laughs> Yeah, the only reason I didn't end up applying to Boston, I think, was because I really liked University of uh, South Carolina. I really liked Ooh, uh, that okay. campus. Okay. It was a beautiful campus. And you want to know what's even crazier? My cousin ended up going there. She's about six years younger than me. Wow. So it was she had no idea that I had applied there because I'm I w- I'm six years ahead of her in school, but five years older than her. So wow. by the time I was in college, she was still in middle school. Yeah. So I was out of college before she was like really in high school and stuff. And uh she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to South Carolina. I was like, oh, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to University of South, of South Carolina. I was like, that's so funny. I applied there, too. It just made me laugh. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Wow. Because I was about to say, my friend um, who works at the Carolina Panthers right now, he actually went to University of South Carolina, too. It's a great school. Oh, my God. Small world right there. Very small world. Small world right there. I I like this. This is... <laughs> It's I good like dynamic, this at all. I feel. This, I feel like this is I feel like this is so dynamic. I, I kid you not. I kid you not when I say this. But no, for real, like when I when I get to um my final semester in LA, obviously. We, imagine imagine we, we just we just met up and just link up, you know? Like Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah, because yeah, like I'm currently I, in uh in Orange right now because I just graduated from Chapman. Ooh, last okay. May. Oh, cool. So I'm in I'm in Orange right now, so I'm about 30, 40 minutes outside of LA. Ooh. Just a little bit further south. Let me tell you what. What I get when I fly down there before my final semester begins, we gotta hang out. 
Of course, absolutely. That's gonna be that's gonna be my that's gonna be my first thing. <laughs> that's gonna be my first thing. I just I just settle in. I'm just like you know what? Hey, uh, let, let, let's let's pull up, go to Disneyland, or go to <laughs> Disneyland. Ten, my roommate works at Disneyland. Ten oh, minutes really? Down from us. Oh, yeah. that's cool. That's really cool. I, wor- I worked at Disney World, and she worked at Disneyland. I just think that's really funny. Dang, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, also before I before I even get to the interview, I'm I'm sorry, but like Disney celebrating their hundred, it's a one hundredth anniversary. So happy birthday, Disney! Know. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy, honestly. Like in my lifetime, I've never seen that coming, you know? No, I mean, it was uh, when I was working at Walt Disney World, we were gearing up for another really big milestone because I worked there, I want to say, I think it was 2018, 2019 when I worked there. Ooh, okay. And I think I'd have to look it up. I don't actually remember because I worked at Magic Kingdom, which is the the big, big, big park. Okay, Um, all right. When did Magic Kingdom open? Magic Kingdom opened. That was like 50 years ago, probably, maybe. Yeah, I wanted, that was what I was going to say. Um, was it, uh, it was the 50 year anniversary because I think I have a 50 year pin. Ooh, all right. Something like that. Yeah, it opened in 1971. So it would have yeah, been. We, yeah, close. we knew They that, were like yeah. at least gearing up for like the 50 year mark, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, yeah, it opened. It was, it was like 49 years when I was there. So we were, they actually have, they passed out all these like 50 year pins. And then my roommate who works at Disneyland, got to be there during the 100 year celebration so i think that's just really funny that i was there for the that's for the insane she was there for though. The 100. that's insane though oh my mm-hmm. god well shout well, well shout out to your cousin uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, shout out to your cousin working at disneyland you working at disney world you know <laughs> the world the best of both worlds you know hannah montana <laughs> hannah montana said it you know it, yes. it, it, she said it best but um let's get to the nitty-gritty stuff obviously because we want to get to the you know the last of us and then obviously the Mandalorian, which is coming out next week, March first. Talk about it. I have so much, so many thoughts. <laughs> oh my god! I know you got played. That's why. That's why. That's why I got to get in the juicy stuff. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Heck yeah! Okay, so the multi-million dollar question I always ask every guest on the show is, "What's your favorite movie and show when you were a kid, and how that impact you?" Ooh, when I was a kid. Yep. Ooh, it's different than it is now. Um, as a kid, when when are you counting kid? When are you stopping the kid mark? Is that I don't know. Like maybe when you I like teenage like, years, like or? teenage years, childhood, anything you know. Okay. Adulthood. <laughs> I might I might have a different answer for this than most people do, just because as someone who works in like the film industry, for me, I think of that like early adolescent, like teenage year as being part of my childhood as like these are the things that shaped me because that's when you're really becoming a person is when you're hitting the ages between like 12 and 14 is really when you start developing personality apart from what your parents instilled upon you so i'm gonna i'm gonna use that area of my life as a base okay okay. um around that time i was getting really into a lot of the like popular fandom shows which is actually kind of interesting Hmm. um that was around the time of the boom of social media like twitter was becoming really popular so i was seeing a lot of stuff about supernatural about doctor who um sherlock and like merlin and that's what like those were the big shows that i remember being on when I was around that age, I loved Supernatural, but I didn't get into it until I was in high school. I think I was probably 
14 or 15 before I started watching that. And then I watched it all the way to the bitter end. Um, I really loved the show Heroes when I was a kid. It was on NBC, Ooh, um, okay, yeah. which was a great show. Mm. It was like my first real introduction to superhero stuff. Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender was always one of my oh, favorite Oh, Avatar shows. is the go for this, you know. I have a tattoo dedicated to Avatar. I love Avatar. Oh, um, you got a tattoo. What's it look like? Because I know I can't uh, see it because it's not I've a video. I have 14 <laughs> tattoos. Um, no, it's fine. I... Uh, it's it's a uh, oh god how do I explain this uh, it's on my arm on mm. my right arm and okay. they are like diamond shapes with all the different elements in them and they're kind of stacked um, so I've got one with like mountains one with water one with the sun one with like wind and stuff oh, okay. so it's just kind of a, a nice little homage to to Avatar wow it's on that's my, incredible on my, I have like a all the tattoos on my right arm are dedicated to like movies and shows and stuff that I like that's so I've got little, incredible little collage going. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now, now so, makes, yeah, it makes me want to get a, get a tattoo, honestly. I have 14 of them. I can't I can't tell you how much I love them. They're so great. <laughs> They're so great. I can tell. <laughs> I'm going to say if if I have to pick like one show that was the most influential on me, I'm going to say it's Avatar just because that kind of really shaped the way that I told stories as an adult. Wow. Um cuz okay. I think Avatar is one of the best examples of like a perfect character arc in terms of like Zuko specifically. Yeah. Um just like that's that's the perfect redemption arc. It's never been done better in my opinion and I think it's done so masterfully. And like when you think about the impact that Avatar The Last Airbender had, it's only like three seasons, the show. It is, yeah. And for a show, not only being an animated show that only runs about 20 minutes per episode, it's so influential that even 10 years after it's over, we're still looking back on it as being this mark of like great television. Mm and that's not often for a kid's show that people say that. It's not often for animation that people say that. And just like this idea of it, it was such a unique idea at the time. It spawned so many things that are so related to it, but not that have never quite gotten that like emotional value that that Avatar had. That's probably got to be one of the most influential things that I've probably ever seen, especially as a kid when that came out. Because I want to say it came out in like 2008. No, I think it so came I out 2005 been, probably like, in, around that time. Was it even earlier than that? I don't yeah, even yeah, remember. Yeah, it was like 2005 and then, and then it ended in 2008, I think. So. Oh, it went off in 2008. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes more sense. Because I would have been in 2008, I would have been like, 11 so that would have been right around that time where <laughs> everything that i saw after that was like really heavily influenced by my love of, of avatar so I'm, I'm gonna pick avatar for your question no of, that's cool of that's what cool. was the most influential heck you even won a peabody award too yeah i mean it's a great show that, it is it is so huge <laughs> no animated series show. have having no animated series we even like make that feat and i'm and i'm proud of that no. you know yeah that's gotta be huge for like shout out to the careers of that, of that of that show, really. I know, and I'm I'm so hoping that their reboots are successes. I'm so hoping that all the all the like live action series. Yeah, well, they're doing another live action. They're doing another animated movie. They've started like the creators started their own studio called Avatar Studios. Yeah, and they're planning I, I remember on doing reading a whole that. bunch more content. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping nothing but success for all of them because they changed my childhood <laughs> and, I, actually, and i owe them that <laughs> actually it changed all of our childhoods basically you know really yeah literally yeah because like who doesn't love avatar honestly i mean yip i don't yip. know anyone i don't know anyone that doesn't that i don't know anyone that has seen avatar that doesn't like avatar honestly yip yip 
Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I, have, <laughs> I have an oppa i have a stuffed oppa that someone gave me for my birthday a couple years ago that's Came awesome with me all the way out to california yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and before before i and before we get into questions though like who, who's your favorite like avatar character oh toth toth easy toth Beifong, my favorite character i loved her <laughs> well mine's momo toph- Momo is a great answer. Like Toph is just unironically just so (laughs) overpowered. (laughs) She's just awesome. And I like that Toph is one of the first representations that I remember of someone who was disabled uh, because she's blind. And like, not only is she blind, she's younger than the rest of them. And she's, she's a kid, like truly is a kid. And she's got this like horrible setup at home where her parents don't trust her and they degrade her and belittle her because of her disability. And despite her disability, Toph has made it her strength. And like, I just think that that's a great message for kids just in general. And then she's funny and she's witty and like her disability is never really used against her. I don't know. I just think she's great. And she's so much fun and she's so powerful. Like Toph is just awesome. Yeah, I, I could talk about Toph for hours. Literally <laughs> one of the greatest characters ever. And also like Uncle yes. Iroh too. You know, oh, Uncle Iroh's great, great as, well. as well. I mean, I, I, you'd be hard pressed to find a bad character on Avatar, to yeah. be honest with you. But right. there are so many beloved characters on that show. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's insane, honestly. And man, shout out Avatar, really. Hey, check it, check mm-hmm. it on, check it out on Netflix too. It's still on yeah. there. <laughs> yep. Same with Legend of Korra. Also, ch- yep. also check that out too. That's like a sequel series, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Korra is the Avatar in the generation after Aang. Yeah. 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 So yep. Yeah, definitely check those two shows out when you get a chance. But anyways, back to this interview. So um, yes. I know you're a screenwriter. You I love am. writing. So like, mm-hmm. what did you, what made you decide to actually go into screenwriting? By the way, oh, that's a funny story. Um, so when I was how old was I? I was 15 uh, when I was a freshman in high school. I started high school when I was 14. And then, nope, I started high school when I was 13. Never mind. When I was 15, I was a sophomore. Um, and I did the morning announcements at my high school. And I was like one of the only kids that took it seriously. And my teacher came to me one day and he said, like, you seem like you're really interested in this. We have like a tech school that we're partnered with. You might be interested in their TV multimedia program. And so long story short, I ended up going to that program for the next two years. And so half of my day would be spent at my school doing like math and science and history or whatever. And then I would go to this tech school where I would do nothing but film stuff for the remainder of my day. And I did that. And I knew then that I wanted to go into film and TV when I was like 15. Hmm. So then when I went to undergrad, I originally went to undergrad for radio um, because I had been told by a lot of people that I had a voice for radio and that I was really good at it. And I actually competed in radio when I was in doing that tech program at my high school. And I actually went to nationals for it. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So I I had like a lot of passion for it. And I I thought that I would enjoy radio, but it was kind of radio was kind of already dying out at the time. I started college in 2015. So it was kind mm. of already dying out around that time. Um, and I'm actually really glad that I ended up not going into it because I don't really know what I would have done with that as a career path. Mm. But while I was there, I started doing video production stuff again, which I hadn't done since I was in high school. And I just realized I really liked video production. And so I started taking like an editing track. And I ended up when I graduated, I had a bachelor's of science in, in mass comm with a focus in audio video production. And that's ended up being what I focused in. And I also had an English minor where I specialized in creative writing. And one of the creative writing classes that I had, I met a guy in that program, one of my very good friends, um, who was a screenwriter. 
And he had come to me one day and he had said, hey, like, I know we've only really know each other from class, but I'm working on a script and you're really good at story. Would you be able to take a look at this and tell me how the story feels? And I was like, I've never read a script before, um, but I'll take a look at it if you want me to. And so I met up with him and we basically just read over his script and I learned formatting and like the grammar and all that stuff through him. And as someone who had a creative writing background, I was able to help him find the story. And I kind of realized that screenwriting was a way for me to bridge the two worlds between wanting to be a writer, wanting to be an author, and then also really wanting to work in film. And it was like the perfect middle ground for me. So I decided like that year that I wanted to do screenwriting and my school offered like an optional screenwriting course. It was like a experimental class my senior year that was only being offered that one semester. And it was taught by my advisor and my favorite teacher. So I was like, of course, I'm going to take this class. Um, And I took it and I loved it. And I had such a great time. And I decided then that I was going to do that as my master's program, which ended up being what I did. And so... I looked at a bunch of master's programs and I found Chapman, which ended up being the only school that I got into. And it was my Hail Mary school. (laughs) Hail Mary? Yeah, it was. I applied to Boston was my first school. Yeah, of course. Um, We're talking about it. (laughs) Boston. Boston was my was my one of my master's programs. So that was the one that I applied to. And then I applied to University of Florida, which was actually the one that I really wanted to get into because the University of Florida, the way that they're program was structured was that you did a year on the Florida campus and then you did a year overseas in London working at the Globe, which I was like, fuck, yeah, I studied abroad when I was in undergrad and I had an amazing time and I've been trying to get back ever since. And just shit keeps happening and I've just never been able to make it. Oh, wow. Um, But so this program was like my perfect option. But I didn't even get an interview at that school and I was crushed by it. And then that happened in like January of... (coughs) 2020 happened in like January, didn't hear anything back. And then Boston, they like lost my application. And so I was on the phone with their application department and like just talking to them about it. And they were basically like, we're really sorry. We don't know what happened to your application. Please apply again. So I ended up having to apply again, which like really delayed my process. Um, And finally, I got an email from Chapman saying that I had been waitlisted. And I was like, okay. So I accepted my spot on the waitlist because I was like, there's nothing you know, I was like, I'll, I'll probably get into Boston and then I'll just go to Boston because that that ended up being what I wanted to do mm. because I didn't think I was going to get into Chapman. And then two days after I joined the waitlist, I got an email saying that I had been accepted. Wow. And at that point, I okay. hadn't heard from Boston yet. And my mom was like, like, Allison, like, you can't just wait around hoping that Boston's going to accept you. You either have to accept the school or not. And Chapman is is a top five film school. It's the number four film school in the country. So I was like, there's there's no way. Like, how do I not take this opportunity? So I accepted my offer from Chapman. And then like a month and a half later, I found out I didn't even get into Boston. <laughs> so wow. it's crazy how everything worked out the way it did. And I I was never expecting to get into Chapman at all. Um, And I'm really glad that I did because it was a great program and I loved it. It just sucked that my first year had to be going through the pandemic. So the first year that I was in grad school was 2020. (laughs) So that was a little unfortunate. Um, But yeah, it was just it was just screenwriting is just a great way for people who want to tell stories in a really specific way. And I've always been someone who's been a lot more visual anyway, just because I watch a lot of film and TV. Of course. So screenwriting is like the perfect way to just 
conjoin those two ideas of, of writing and film. So no, of course, absolutely. You know, like screenwriting is kind of like you know, kind of like the bread and butter of like film and TV, basically. Mm-hmm. Like you want, like you want to be able to get like get your kind of like message and your story out there, and I think that's like a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's the way that I describe it a lot of times is it's it's really funny because there was a there's an old adage in the the film industry that screenwriters are the first hired and the first fired. And that's like something that my teachers told us like our very first semesters. It happens all the time. But screenwriters are the most important people in Hollywood because without screenwriters, you have no story. And Mm. if you have no story, you have no film. Mm. But I think a lot of people forget that because when you look at a film, you look at the actors and then you look at the directors right next. Because actors have nothing to do with a film. They portray it. That's true. But without a screenwriter, they have nothing to do. Mm. You know, they would be absolutely useless without screenwriters. And it's actually really funny and kind of sad at the same time. How kind of sidelined screenwriters get a lot of the time for stuff like that, because, you know, I think all of us out here that are screenwriters, we feel like we have something to say or we have ideas that we want to share and that we are passionate about, that we care about. And then someone else, maybe a director or a producer or even an actor could look at that and say, I see your vision. I see what this is. I love it. Let's do it you get caught into a contract and then they start saying, oh, well, actually, maybe this character should do this or maybe it should end like this or maybe it should look like this. And all of a sudden your vision is changing. And screenwriters are are told to accept that. We are told that our vision, our unique vision, the way it's written is not always paramount. It mm. has to be up to the producers, the production house or the directors. And that's kind of sad, but it is, it's, yeah. the, it's the nature of the industry, I guess. Yeah. And it's just it's really interesting to me to be out here now and to see it like firsthand and to see how it's working. And then with all of my friends who are trying to get jobs in the industry, too, it's just just the way that everything's working around itself is 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 fascinating. No, literally. I mean, I feel like in the industry right now, like, yeah, I mean, some people are, are given a chance, but at the same time, it's like, you know, like you're like, you're trying to like push for that big break, basically. I mean, it's more, it's more kind of like screenwriting. The same goes like producing, directing and all, all those areas, you know, like everybody, like for even for me, I'm struggling too. Cause like I, I'm in grad school for a reason, but like, you know, yeah, of but, course. yeah, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm trying to like kind of like push those boundaries and like, Hey, like this is what I, this is what I want to bring to the table. And this is what I want to do. So like it's it's one of those things like where like you know you want to be, be able to like get yourself out there and also the stories that you you wanted to tell. I mean with with screenwriting though like without screenwriters like there is no story basically. Mm-hmm. So I like I mean again like it's 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 kind of like the bread and butter like of the industry and like people need to push that you know. Um, but and and obviously we're obviously we're talking to of like screenwriting right. So like what was your, like your very first screenplay you ever wrote while you're in Chapman? Oh, okay. So the first screenplay that I wrote was my feature. So the way that um, Chapman was structured for our screenwriting program, there was screenwriting and then there was TV writing and producing. And I was in the screenwriting track. Okay. Um, And so for screenwriters, the first year, what we did is we did a full feature. So we wrote an entire feature film, 90 pages flat uh, minimum in a year. Uh, which really wasn't a year. It was like eight months. Um, (laughs) And then our second year, we did a a TV pilot. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, the first feature that I ever wrote was based on a dream that my dad had. And it was such a crazy dream that I was like, this has to be made into something. Um, it was very Truman Show inspired, um, okay. which I, I love the Truman Show. It's one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically about 
people who were hearing voices in their head that were telling them that they had to do things. And you find out at the end of the film that it's not, these people are not crazy. They are being manipulated by an all seeing force who are playing a cosmic game of chess. And mm-hmm. these are the players. Yeah. So it's kind of, um, it's, with the first first draft that I wrote of it was very pulled heavy from like supernatural lore of like they were angels and these were angels who were playing a cosmic game of chess that they were stuck in purgatory and it's it since then it's changed a hundred times because it's been like two and a half years since I wrote that um but that was the first feature that I ever did was this idea of it was basically like a morality game of people who were being told that they had to do something and it was essentially, you had, I called them the game makers. You had game makers who were playing a game where they were trying to get points on the board and the points were dictated by the rule of the game, which would be make your player break their moral code could be one. Mm. And so these game makers would go and they would take their players who are essentially like NPC characters that we as the audience are following. And they would have to try and convince them to break this rule or standard that's set by the host of the game. Mm-hmm. And so a moral code could be something as simple as stealing from a store, or it could be something as extreme as killing another person. And so the game over the course of the film was escalating more and more where these demands were getting bigger and bigger, and it culminates in one of the players killing the other, and that's the end of the game. And that's where it gets revealed that it's this big chess tournament and stuff like that it was very convoluted and i struggled with that idea so much when i was writing it and it maybe it was a little bit too much for me to reach for as like a first time (laughs) feature writer but yeah that was that was the first one that i that i ever wrote yeah what what, was that like the hardest one you ever wrote you know hardest in the sense that like the story was not as clear to me as i needed it to be for a feature i actually Mm -hmm. tend to write tv now more than i do features okay i just something something about features is just i don't like that stories and features feel like they're so close-ended and you feel like you have such little time to tell a story that's why i like tv a little bit better yeah because in tv you can take a a 10-hour story and you can condense it down to one hour per episode and it's a lot easier to tell it whereas you might take a 10-hour story and then try to turn it into a two-hour movie and that is just like virtually impossible um so i think that honestly the idea that i had for this this feature this first time i actually ended up turning it into a tv show later on for a different assignment and i was actually a lot happier with how it looked and felt that way i mean it was virtually completely different apart from like the very base of the premise yeah um but it in terms of like hardest that probably was one of the hardest that i ever wrote just in the sense that it was the first one that i wrote it was a difficult story to tell it was Mm. very convoluted um and it confused me even as the writer and like my peers and stuff that were reading it and giving it feedback even they were confused so maybe maybe in that sense it was the hardest (laughs) yeah i feel like for me i mean because i'm obviously in the the producing slash management track like trying to like you know put screenwriting like try to crack my screenwriting just a little bit um (laughs) my one of my one of my first kind of like well i mean i've been writing scripts scripts for quite some time even like when i was like in my undergrad but like i feel like i'm kind of doing it wrong but now that i'm here like i can actually finally kind of like craft it you know um Mm -hmm. I think last semester I was in the like a situational comedy class, like sitcom class, right? So like yeah. I was writing a spec for a dark comedy series called Barry. And oh, Barry's so great! I it love is that so show. Great. Fantastic oh show. Great. I've, I'm telling. I'm. I literally tell people all the time. It's like a golden 
like that's standard one of, that's of television. That's one of the best basically. shows I've ever seen. Literally, basically, one of the, that is one of the best shows I've ever seen. From it th- is fucking from awesome. From the third season alone, oh my god! Like, oh my god! We I actually have a group of friends. We get together every single uh, week, and the reason we got together the first time, the very first time we did it, we've been doing it for about a year now, mm. was because we were watching Barry together. Wow! We started watching Barry season three together, so we would get together every week, watch the episode, and then we would discuss it. And we've been doing that ever since and now we're doing the last of us which is why we've been so intensely talking about the last of us is because that's the show that we're doing now but it started because we were watching barry because that show is awesome that's some of the best writing on television and, and, also, and also nobody best, is watching it it feels like it also has like the best direction too shout out bill Hader. direction acting bill Hader is a freaking gem and he has been since snl and i mean he, he is, is yeah not only is he a fantastic comedic actor he is a fantastic dramatic actor dramatic director and he's a great writer too nothing but praise and love for my man bill Hader. <laughs> i love well, him we, i truly do love him hey, well, hey, <laughs> he's that's just what's a up. weird little dude and i respect the weird him so little, much yeah hey that's what's <laughs> up though that's literally what's up because like i mean i because that was like the first show like i thought about in my mind like this is something i want to write you know mm-hmm. but like when i was writing it it was it when it comes to like like stories like Barry, it's so hard to write, especially like in a dark comedy type of sense. So that's why I kind of like yes. pushed myself to actually write it. So, I mean, my idea was kind of like about you know like uh, it, it, since this is a spec, right? So like it's it's about kind of like him in prison, uh, you know, having a good time or whatever, and he's actually doing a play inside prison, and then helping out this uh, awesome. this this, guy, <laughs> this this dude this dude of this dude of his that's been like wanted that wanted to do acting, but then like fuses few is like uh you better kill him or else i will or else i will embarrass your ass so that's so that's kind of that's kind of like my 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 spiel in, in that spec um but again it was it was it was hard to write and i kind of did pretty decent you know i mean it, I'm, there's a long way to go obviously but you know mm-hmm. other than that it was it was pretty good in my end um, I think uh, this semester I'm taking like writing pilot and then I'm taking obviously the, like the web series, like creating short form stuff. And it's actually been pretty fun so far. Um, it's great. I love it. Yeah. And the writing pilot too, like I, I get a chance to like write like a one hour original series thing. Mm-hmm. So we I, did the same thing at yeah, my school. Yeah. So I, I, I obviously I, I've. I've been blessed given a chance to do that, which is cool, which is, which is pretty cool at the end of the day. So, yeah. 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 We did that. We did that at my school. It was the first year was was feature. And then the second year, our first semester was spec. So we did spec scripts. Mm. And then the second semester was original TV pilot. And it's really funny. One of the guys in my class did a spec for Barry, but it was before season three had come out. So it was a, a season three spec for Barry about uh, the end of the season being, of course, when Barry kills Kusino's girlfriend. Um, And his season three pilot one was essentially about Kusino finding out and trying to kill Barry, which is so funny because it ended up being really close to the actual premiere of season three. Um, so we had we had a lot of really good specs in that class. I, I wrote mine on the Umbrella Academy. So I did a, a spec for Umbrella Academy season three, which could not have been farther from what they did in the actual season three of the Umbrella Academy. That is crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it was really fun because when I did the the Barry spec in class, because we always did table reads, I played Sally, but I had never seen the show. So I had no idea what I was doing. And then when I went and watched, I was like, oh, man, Joey's script was really good. <laughs> it's, like, it's really close to the show. That's incredible, honestly. And, and, and the fact like writing like specs like and then the real thing happens, it's just like, wow, it's, it's just like mind blowing to me, really. 
honestly. It is, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You said, I know you said Chapman. I, I just got to like shout out to like my, my, one of my good friends, Isabel Car- Caron. Uh, she actually graduated from um, uh, Chapman in her undergrad. Chapman is such a beautiful school, such a great school. No, yeah, it is. It's in Los, good old sunny Los Angeles, you know. <laughs> when yeah. I when I when I get to when I get to LA my final semester, you got to you got to give me a tour there. Oh yeah, well Chapman is Chapman's in Orange. Oh really? Yeah, oh, Chapman's sweet. a mile away. I live a mile away from the school. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah when it's I, in Orange. Oh okay, sweet. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of things I need to do at LA literally. <laughs> good luck la is massive and it's always crowded but oh, yes God, there's yeah. tons of great stuff to do in la yeah, yeah last time i was in la i went to a, a concert when i was there but oh, it, was, okay. it was really fun yeah that's cool yeah. that's cool that's cool um yeah because this is my first time going to be in la so it's like i'm trying to like mm. find my way around so like yeah i mean you're gotcha. yeah, I mean, you're one of the first people that like i you know hey you can you can help you can help a guy out here you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't spend a ton of time in la because i'm not the biggest fan of cities but i will give you as many recommendations as i can for anything that you're looking for out hey, there that would that would that would be really appreciative because i would love mm-hmm. to have that i would love to have yeah that absolutely sure. yeah yeah for sure um Let's get into the juicy stuff uh, that okay. obviously we want to talk about. Of course, The Last of Us. Uh, yes. In case you guys don't know what that is, uh, it's one of the best video games of all time. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Created by Naughty Dog. Yep. Uh, OG Neil Druckmann. Uh, yep. And it, it's been adapted into this amazing show that has what well, like what 100% IDMB, 100% Rotten Tomatoes, all across the board. Mm-hmm. Um a lot, you know, collaborating with like Craig Manzin, you know, creator of Chernobyl, all that crazy also stuff. Also, great show. Uh, yeah, it, I got. I still need to see that. I forgot. Chernobyl <laughs> I forgot is amazing. All about it is, it. It's got... such a good show. I, to be fair, I only watched it last month. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I only I I started watching it uh like a week or two after The Last of Us started. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it's Chernobyl is is one of the best shows I've ever seen. It's it's fantastic. It's really dark, really gritty, great tone. Uh, it's I watched it in one sitting because it's I think it's only five or six episodes. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, an, yeah. it's a pretty easy watch. It's just like, like wow, it's it's just hard a, to watch. At yeah, some it's just points, a lot, just a, a lot of show. stuff to get into. Because mm-hmm. it's based on real events, basically. So it's like oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 of course. But like, <sighs> I mean, the Last of Us, man. Like Pedro Pascal. Bella Ramsey, Love of my life. Uh, you know Joel and Joel and Ellie. I think mm-hmm. I think I think it was like a good casting though. Actually, oh, actually perfect. Screw, actually, screw that. Like superb casting, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabriel and, Luna's Tommy is fantastic. He sounds exactly like Tommy does in the game, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. No. Like I think. Um, Every every cast member of that show like has some really pretty good casting, including yeah. like including like Marlene who who has like the original actor from a video game, which is insane. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. that's pretty. That's I think she's, she's like the only one out of no, all of them. No, no, they've got um. Oh, she's the only one playing her original character. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The guy who played Tommy was in the show. He just died in episode five. Spoilers, sorry. Uh, Jeffrey Pierce, he came back. Um, Troy Baker will be in when an upcoming episode. So will Ashley Johnson. Ashley yeah, Johnson's yeah. gonna be playing Ellie's mom. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So she's she's probably she's got she's probably gonna be in it too. But yeah, yeah, she'll probably she actually will probably be in the next episode next week. Pro- episode seven. I think episode seven is with um 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 Ellie and the store and uh, Reed. It's it's Riley. And yeah, Riley, it's the Riley. left behind DLC. But I I'm kind of predicting that it's going to be going through Ellie's backstory. Probably, so I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if we saw her 
birth, because for people who are familiar with the DLC about Ellie's mom or any of the stuff about it, Ellie's mom uh, was infected. Uh, it yeah. got infected and gave birth to her and died very shortly after. Yeah. Um, so it's it would not be surprising to me if Ellie either learns about that in the next episode or the audience is aware of that. Mm. I don't know that it'll happen next episode, but since next episode seems to be gearing up to be about Ellie, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it shows up then. I mean, pretty much. I mean, we'll see what happens, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I, mean it's, I mean, it's. It's obviously featured in, in next in next week's episode, basically. So I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, obviously, like you know, superb writing, superb directing. Um, and what was your, like your favorite episode moment from the show? Because I know you. Ooh. I was obviously, obviously, there is one I know, but um, obviously, <laughs> my favorite one would definitely be like the first episode. I think I they did the a really, episode. really, really, really great job with that. I was just blown away at how realistic from the video game to the show is. Because, like, mm-hmm. it, it has that kind of spirit, you know? And it's also, yeah. and, and it's sad too at the same time. So it's like, wow, I can't believe, like, this even happened, you know? But, like, Joel, Joel shout out to Joel, really, um, Prager Pascal, really, because, like, he he got this, he got this role to a T, really, because, like, he, so he's a very, very great actor. And I'm, I'm very kind of, like, proud of, like, where he's at uh, with his character. So that, that, that was pretty cool in that sense. But what about you? Uh, well, I fully agree. I think I'm, he's the perfect casting for Joel. I've been a fan of his for a very long time. I've loved him in Game of Thrones, obviously loved him in Mandalorian, even liked him in the, the Kingsman Golden Circle. Like, oh, yeah, I've and Narcos. Oh, my God, he's fantastic. in Narcos, I, I've just really liked him. I've liked everything that I've seen him in. So I just <laughs> have nothing but praise for that man. Um, I think he's a great casting uh, for Joel. And I love I love Bella Ramsey as Ellie. I think she's got Ellie down to a T. Yeah. Um, in terms of episode, honestly, I loved episode five. I really, really loved episode oh, okay. five with, Hen- with Henry right. and Sam. Um, yeah. there ha- I mean, there hasn't, to be fair, there has not been an episode that I have disliked or haven't liked. Yeah. So I've liked all of them. Um, Pretty much. But yeah. I think for me, because I've been watching the show with friends, I think it's different because when I end up watching episodes by myself, my opinions change afterwards. Mm. Um, and so going back and looking at the other episodes i cry when i watch them now but i didn't when when i was watching it in the moment but episode five was the first one that actually brought me to tears and it was the ending of that episode with the death of henry and sam yeah and i just think uh i think his name is lamar johnson and then Kayvon woodard i think are are the two actors who play henry and sam they were fantastic they were perfectly casted they portrayed it so well the addition of uh, Sam being deaf was a great inclusion and yeah, just there was really a lot is. of heart in that episode and that felt like the spirit of the game to me in the sense of like it's it's this whole idea that there is hope and then there's not <laughs> at the same time of like it's it's there's hope but you have to be realistic about it yeah um, this was a conversation I was having with with one of my friends this morning about Star Wars which is Star Wars is ultimately about hope and The Last of Us is the grounded version of that, which is you can have hope, but you also have to be realistic. Mm. Not everyone is going to survive, especially in the apocalypse. Oh my God. And I yeah. think, I think mm. that fifth episode really defined that. It's also, it's, it's hard to say that the fifth up fifth episode wasn't fantastic because it's the midpoint of the season. Yeah. So of course it's gotta be this big moment in this big time. It really was. So, yeah. Yeah. 
But the first episode, I think, is very near and dear to me because it was I can usually tell within the first 10 minutes of a project if I'm going to like it or not. Mm. And 10 minutes into that first episode, two minutes into that first episode, I could have told you I was going to love it. I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be so good. (laughs) I had such high hopes for the show and it has not let me down in any way. And it's, in fact, exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways. And not only is it the best video game adaptation of all time, I think it's one of the best adaptations of all time barring books, movies, film, music, whatever has been adapted. I think it is one of the best adaptations of all time. Literally hands down. Um, mm-hmm. What about what about the third episode? You know? Oh, I loved it. I loved that episode. That yeah. episode was I ended up watching that with a group. I'm of very like 10 I'm, I'm, I'm very kind of like surprised, like when I was watching it and then got you know, you know a little emotional at the same time, because that, that's mm-hmm. like that. That's I feel like that 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 episode is about love, basically, you know, that episode, like from, like from, I, I don't know if you've been watching the uh, the podcast that they do after the episode. They do like a an inside look at the episode and the making of. And then mm-hmm. uh, Neil Druckmann, Troy Baker, yeah, and Craig Neil Mason Druckmann. get together. Shout yeah, they get together and do a podcast where they talk about oh, yeah. the episode. And in the, the podcast for the first episode, uh, Neil and Craig were talking about how um, – the Last of Us is about how love can be toxic. And I right. thought that was a really interesting thesis to present in this type of show. Okay. And All the right. third episode is the antithesis, which is love is not always toxic. It can be toxic because Joel and Ellie's relationship is toxic. They really are was, parasites yeah. off of each other. That's yeah. the great thing about them. Mm-hmm. They are so flawed as individuals. And that's what makes them such good characters because they're not perfect and they make mistakes mm. as evidenced by a lot of choices that Joel either has already made or will be making later on. Um, and Ellie too. But the idea of Bill and Frank being this, uh, this couple that survives through to the end, they make it, they're happy that was what the show is about is the show is about love and how love can be good and it can be bad at the same time. Yeah. And that was, I think knowing that in the the grand scheme of things and like having that context as someone who's watching the show really makes that episode hit so much harder. And I think it was a beautiful episode of some of the best writing, the monologue that Frank had where he was like, you know, love me the way that I want you to love me, I think is, is absolutely gorgeous. It was an amazing, amazing episode. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like a hair hard for like, you know, like for many people who are um, obviously part of the LGBTQ plus community, obviously. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, absolutely. Obviously, obviously it, it hit, it hit home for them. So it's like about mm-hmm. like love and then, you know, love is love and whatnot. But yeah, but it, it, it did hit hard. It did hit hard really. Um, yeah. Fantastic a, episode. Fantastic episode. Oh, wow. That's all I'll probably <laughs> say there. <laughs> shout out to shout out to shout out to OG Nick Offerman for this shit, you know? Yes. Nick Offerman and, and Murray Bartlett. Yeah. Fantastic. And yeah. they made me cry over two old gay men in the apocalypse. Yeah. Love them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great uh, great episode overall. Um uh, They've I, all been great. They've they all, all been, been they good all, episodes. I mean every episode They've all been good. <laughs> I mean every I mean every episode has been great thus far, you know. I mean mm-hmm. hope I mean now that we're at episode seven, eight, seven through nine, I think it's almost coming at an end. But, you know, hopefully season two will come around, um, you know, when they film it, um, whenever. But I'm, I'm definitely definitely looking forward to that one, you know, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, season two, I am not looking forward to, but it's uh, only because only it's going to depress me. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's pro. I think it's probably gonna. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at this there's point. no probably. It, it will depress me. It will absolutely depress me. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we we can't we can't say it here because like they don't know. They don't know. I won't spoil they what don't happens know. in the second game. Uh, but it's not happy. 
it's not happy. It's pr- at yeah, all. Pr- yeah. Based on what I've seen from part two, yeah, obviously it just all went downhill from there. <laughs> literally, it did. It did. It In my head, did. The Last of Us will conclude with the end of the first season. <laughs> that's why. That's why I was thinking too. But then it got renewed for season two. I'm like, okay. Then we're getting. Well, then we're getting. we're getting part two, two and season three. Yeah. Oh, season three too. Yeah, they're doing they're doing three seasons because season uh, the the second game, Last of Us Part Two, is twice as long as Last of Us Part One. So they're going to split it up. So season two will be the first half of the Last of Us Part Two, and then the second or the third season. I'm sorry, will be the second half. Ah. And then there are rumors that Neil Druckmann is working on Game Three right now, and so following the conclusion of that third season, which will probably be in about six years, uh, he should have the third game out, which means they could potentially carry on with the show and do a couple more seasons too i don't know that they will but that is a possibility it will be but we'll we'll see what we'll see what nick is um kind of like mm-hmm. whipping up something but you know who knows who knows who knows but uh about you um you're a huge star wars fan when I, when we first I met uh and obviously you just love star wars like hands down from you know the clone wars to the original the trilogy to mm-hmm. the prequel the sequel literally every single star wars thing you you just you just find basically you're like, you're like, a, like a star wars fanatic type type of deal you know i am which is incredible wait you read a star wars book yeah, I read the Thrawn books. I'm a. I just finished the first Thrawn book a couple of weeks ago, and I'm I'm working my way through the second Thrawn book in the Heir to the Empire series by Timothy Zahn from the '90s. Oh my god! <laughs> it's my well, mom's all favorite right. series. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. That's really. I got incredible. into Star Wars May of last year, and I've seen like everything that I can. I have a lightsaber. Like it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to get one when I get to uh, Galaxy's Edge. You know, if oh, if if awesome. that ever they're happens, so cool. if that ever happens when I get to Disney or whatever on my free time <laughs> yes. but, it, but, it, but it's in Anaheim so like I don't know how long it is from Los Angeles to like Anaheim but I'm sure it's like an, about an hour an about hour, hour yeah so yeah. <sighs> that's sad damn <laughs> well it's I'm, gonna... I'm sorry it's an hour because of traffic not because of distance oh, okay so it's because I'm in yeah. Santa Ana and it's 10 yeah. minutes down the road from me and I can probably get to LA in about 30 45 minutes but that's only because of traffic it's only like 20 or 30 miles away as, lo- as long as you get there early I think you're in a good spot yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and you've Just been don't, li- get, don't get stuck in L.A. rush hour. That's your that's your downfall. Yeah, that's a I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying not to. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm Just trying to. That's what I'm trying to, like, affordably commute. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to be the type of person that's going to Uber. I'm probably going to like scooter my way. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's the best way to do it in L.A. especially. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Like a scootering is just like the best bet, really, because like, why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Why not? But uh, you know, uh, anyways, back to Star Wars. But like the Mandalorian is obviously coming out, uh, season three, so uh, March first. Um, I think la- I think last time I think it was from what book of Boba Fett. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they got they they took care of, they took care of business in Tatooine, mm-hmm. and they and Grogu and you know his dad are just off to another adventure. Um, yeah. And I they feel, gotta restore Mandalore. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause like, and also say, also <laughs> at the same time too. Like, I feel like the Mandalorian has like some type of like self reflection he has to like go through. Cause oh, obviously, yeah. of course, like he he doesn't like hold the title, but like, he's trying to like get it back, you know. Um, yeah, he's uh. This is this is going to be the uh the year that Din discovers if he actually wants to be a Mandalorian or not. This is his period of doubt. Pretty much, basically. I mean, it, not only that, but like you know, how like continuing to be kind of like a role model to Grogu, probably mm-hmm. at the at the same time. But like, 
I, I was gonna, I was gonna say like, you know, what's next? You know, like, what, what are we gonna expect? I mean, I, I mean, I come up with like no, no, no expectations at all. But like, like, what, what, what are your expectations for this? Oh season? God, I've got so many, and some of them are so stupid, and some of them are so like out there and left field, just because I'm an idiot. <laughs> but oh I no, love you're, Star oh, Wars come on, you're not an idiot talking about Star Wars. <laughs> So are we talking about like what's the grand scheme for the Mandalorian as a show or like what am I expecting for season oh, like, three? Oh, like, for, like the characters and like, you know, overall, you know. So my predictions so far for the Mandalorian season three, um, I think they're going to tie in with the Ahsoka series, which is also going to be coming out later this year. Oh, um, yeah. I'm looking forward to that show. I'm so looking forward to that, too. Yeah. Uh, there's a character in Star Wars Rebels, which is an animated series that was on Disney XD, named Sabine Wren. And Sabine is a Mandalorian from the clan Wren, um, which anyone who's a fan of the Clone Wars would know is related to the Vizsla family, the Vizsla house, which is where Paz Vizsla is one of Din's former clan mates who was from the Children of the Watch. He's the big blue one played by John Favreau. That's Paz Vizsla. John and then there's Favreau. also Free Vizsla. Yeah, John Favreau playing playing another clone. I love um, John Favreau. In the Favreau. Clone Wars. I do too. I love him too. I've loved yeah. him since Iron Man 1. Um, yeah. <laughs> in in the Clone Wars though, John Favreau played a, a Mandalorian terrorist who was a part of the Death Watch <laughs> named Pre Vizsla, uh, who wielded the Darksaber. Um, Pre Vizsla was eventually killed by Darth Maul. Um, and then Jon Favreau in The Mandalorian plays Paz Vizsla, who is a descendant of Pre Vizsla, who also challenged Din for the Darksaber and lost, yeah. which was in the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Um, my prediction is that in season three of The Mandalorian, the Mandalorian will meet Sabine Wren, who, if anyone is familiar with Sabine's story in Rebels, Sabine gets the Darksaber and reunites some of the Mandalorians to reclaim Mandalore. And she is the one who gives the Darksaber to Bo-Katan, who then has it up until she loses it to Moff Gideon, who then loses it to Din Djarin. Um, and the whole thing with Sabine having the Darksaber was that she didn't want it. She didn't want it. She had it. And she only used it because it was a means to an end. And then as soon as she was able to, she gave it away. And she gave it to Bo-Katan. The irony of that is that it is the exact same story that Din is going through, where he got the Darksaber. He has no idea how to use it. He doesn't really want it. He doesn't want to be the Mandalore. He doesn't want to be the king. But he has it, and now he doesn't know what to do with it. My prediction for the show is that it would make perfect sense to me and be completely in line for Din to meet another Mandalorian named Sabine Wren, who can then tell him it's okay to have the Darksaber and to not want it. That's the that's the price of power. That's the best leader, right? The best leaders are the ones who don't want to be leaders because they're not hungry for it. Yeah. And that's the problem with Bo-Katan is that Bo-Katan wants the Darksaber because she wants to be the ruler of Mandalore because her sister was the queen of Mandalore once mm. upon a time. Um, and so for her, it's she's always been Mandalorian royalty in that in that sense. But her opinions are so set in their ways where Din's are not. And that's kind of interesting about him, considering he comes from essentially a cult. Um, so for the show, I'm expecting to see this kind of back and forth with Din and Bo-Katan about what it means to be a Mandalorian. Because the Mandalorian's got this amazing tagline, which is, this is the way. This is but the way. It, this is the way. It's like the best <laughs> tagline ever. But there doesn't have to be one way. 
Right. And that's, I think, what the show is ultimately kind of culminating to is that there is not one way to be a Mandalorian. Right. The same way there's like not one way to be a Christian or not one way to be a Muslim. There exactly. are different ways yeah. for people to, to it's a religion, essentially. To be a Mandalorian is it's a creed. It's not a people, mm. um, which is what they say in the first season is it's not it's not a race. It's a creed. Yeah. Um, and so it can be looked at as a religion the same way that the Jedi Order is a religion. There's not one way to be a Jedi. There are multiple different types of Jedi. Yeah. So the idea that I think the show is bringing up in this most recent season is going to be the idea of what does it mean to be a Mandalorian and what are your values? Because Din's whole arc is that he has to go to Mandalore to bathe in the waters under the capital city or whatever and reclaim himself because he's taken off his helmet. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, she did. Yeah. Anyone who's familiar with Mandalorians yeah. knows that that's not really a thing. <laughs> Most Mandalorians <laughs> don't follow that creed. Obviously, by Bo Katan, Sabine doesn't do it either. Um, taking off their helmet doesn't really do anything. It doesn't make them any less of a Mandalorian. And I think that's the lesson that Din is learning this season is that he can take off his helmet and still be a Mandalorian because his values are still the same. He still follows the Rezel Nair, which is the creed that Mandalorians follow. It's the six tenets that make a Mandalorian a Mandalorian. Right. Um, and I think. If the season is going to do anything, it's going to be bringing that up. And I think I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on what my predictions are, but I kind of go back and forth between I think Din is either going to lose the Darksaber and have to get it back in this season or at the end of the season, he's going to fully claim it and become the Mandalore. And then season four will be about his first year as the Mandalorian King. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not I'm not really sure which one I think is more applicable, but the idea, the idea of him losing it and then having to get it back and realizing that, oh, shit, like he has this responsibility and he can't just let this Darksaber fall into anyone's hands because of the power that it is. Like, I think that that's a, an interesting arc and I could totally see that happening. I could also see it happening where he keeps trying to give the Darksaber to people and no one will take it because that's not how Mandalorian culture works. You can't yeah. just give someone the Darksaber. Yeah, no, I don't um, think he can. <laughs> you have to. It has to be one in combat. That's like the whole rule of it. Yeah. Uh, but then he finally realizes that, like. If anyone's going to do it, I can do it because I'm going to be the new Mandalorian. Like I am the new face of Mandalorians where it's you can follow whatever type of creed you want as long as you follow the Rezel Nair, which is you have to come when you're called. You you protect your brothers and sisters and like all all the different tenets that make a Mandalorian a Mandalorian. As long as you follow that, do with it what you will. Wear your helmet or don't. And I think that Din is the perfect person to set that standards to re to actually reunite Mandalorians. So I think the season is going to follow one of those two trajectories. I'll be curious to see which one it goes with. Um, Hopefully, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how it's going to go, but I'm I'm predicting it's going to go one of those two ways. Well, hopefully so. I mean, he, I mean, he's like a kind of like a role model for that. I mean, mm -hmm. like he's like, I mean, like, like, like you mentioned, like he has, he has some type of values. He asks himself like, like, who, who are we? Like, what do we stand for? I think, I think that was, those are the things that kind of like stood out to me to say the least. Cause like, you know, like I feel like, you know, you know, Dijin, you know, like wants to kind of like explore like who he is and like who he is as a Mandalore and like, like what his purpose is. So like, I, I hope, I hope, you know, the third season will kind of like explore that kind of sentiment you know you know because because mm -hmm. we because we, we barely know who he is well i mean he doesn't know who he is yeah other, other yeah. than being a dad but you know like that's, that's but he's not even really a dad he's never called grogu his son 
No, it's always I don't the think child. So, no. The child, it's yeah. The child, yeah. So I mean, and I've... that's that's I think another going to be, be a big part of this season too is him accepting his role as a father, which is so Pedro well, Pascal. Hopefully, but it's, hopefully it's he'll so accept. Hopefully he'll accept though. Oh, he hopefully will. he'll accept he like in the third season though. Like if he if he doesn't, then we'll, we'll all get mad and, and you know call it off for it. <laughs> I'll, call, I'll call Dave Filoni myself and bitch to him about Dave it. Filoni. Yeah, <laughs> Dave Filoni's gonna Dave catch Filoni. my hands yeah. though. <laughs> I love shout, Dave Filoni. Shout out Dave Filoni. Yeah, with the cowboy Shout hat. Shout out Dave Filoni, man. Yeah, with a cowboy hat. You know, the cowboy does, hat and the it perpetual get, smirk. It doesn't get better than this, really. It no, it does not doesn't. get better than this. One of the best, like, you know, Star Wars, you know, creators of all time. He mm-hmm. knows his shit. He, he really he does. does. He was fucking George Lucas's Padawan. Of That's what I was saying. You know, he's like the like, next George Lucas right now. You know, he is. It's, it's yeah. funny because I see people love to critique him for one thing or another that they blame on him. Right. right They'll be right. like, oh, so one character did this. That's Dave Filoni's fault. And I'm like, it's not. It's, Dave yeah, Filoni yeah, is the creator. But people don't know how storytelling works. And they don't know how the film industry works. So I don't blame that on them. Literally not. But it is kind of funny because people will bitch and say that, oh, Dave's vision isn't Star Wars. And I'm like, do you know who he is yeah do you barely you, know he's probably he's like a, he's like he a career of like to start george or, lucas for like 20 years like are you not aware 20 of that? years <laughs> yeah like he was he was literally trained yeah. by george lucas for like 10 or 15 years still works with him actively even though george lucas is no longer a part of star wars as we know it yeah because like, he's still he gave it to actively Disney. working through george's vision whereas right. like things like the sequels don't because they don't give a shit <laughs> like that's that's part of the thing that is so funny to me is people will say like they'll be huge fans of the sequels and this is no hate to the sequels even though i don't like the sequels this is no hate to people who like the sequels people who like the sequels sometimes will say like oh well dave filoni is just doing what dave filoni wants i'm like no dave filoni is doing what george lucas wants and dave filoni also just happens to like that because dave filoni is a george lucas super fan the two are mutually exclusive dave filoni is doing what dave filoni wants but also because what dave filoni wants is what george lucas wants and dave filoni is a star wars super fan who is honoring george's legacy that is the difference between what dave filoni is doing and what other creators are not doing and that's what makes what dave is doing so amazing and beautiful is that everything that he's doing is is references to things that george told him and taught him when he was being his protege essentially and then they created the clone wars together so all of the stuff that came about in the clone wars in the first like five or six seasons were from george lucas essentially pretty much yeah and then people are like well dave is only using the characters that he likes and it's like well yeah, you got to remember that George Lucas also created Ahsoka and this is George Lucas's universe. And Dave Filoni is just currently the king of the sandbox. It's not his fault. Like, I mean, he's keeping it. Don't be mad his, at him. I mean, he's keeping the streak going. So like, you're welcome. Yeah, he's got he gave us the Mandalorian, bro. Like, why he are does. you slandering and, and, my and John Favreau right too. Now? And John Favreau yeah, and John Favreau. Too. Yeah, yeah, John yeah. Favreau creator brought Dave Filoni on. I mean, George, George, John Favreau is a fucking genius. So like I, it's, I'm not going to say that he can do no wrong because men he can you know, he can definitely do some wrong, but he's been doing a lot of right. And I really respect him for doing that. So I'm. I'm very pro George Lucas, pro Dave Filoni, pro John Favreau, and I know that that's not the case with all Star Wars fans. Ooh, all right, I think, all three, I think, all three pros. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm pro pro all three of them. I am a diehard prequel fan. I will defend them till the day I die. Hey. <laughs> no slander on the prequels. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Revenge of the Sith is what? ironically one of my favorite Star Wars. Wait movies. a minute. What about the original trilogy? You're not giving that love too. 
Oh, no, no. Listen, there is, there's no comment about the original trilogy because no. the original trilogy are perfect. <laughs> they, they, I they will are, be hearing are, no are. slander about the original trilogy. Empire Strikes Back is a perfect movie, and so is A New Hope, in my opinion. I like Return of the Jedi, too. I just really love those two specifically. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I am your father. <laughs> I am your father. I am Not your father. Luke, I'm your father. No. It's no, I am, I your, am father. your father. Wait, no. Mm-hmm. Wait, we got we got we gotta say it together though. Hold on. Yeah. No. Well, can we? Because we're on different, you know, we're it, it, oh. I'm hearing a delay. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Ready, 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 ready. No. No. I, I am your am father. Your father. Hey. Yep. There we go. <laughs> there we go. See, there's no, there's no delay. Scene. There's no delay right there. Besides, I'm in a studio right now. Like, there's no delay in my end. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. But hey, Ali Kitaguchi, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Of course, was, thanks this for having fun. me. This has been so much fun. Yeah, it's I was so nice say. to just talk about film and TV and stuff and just get to get to have this. That's what the podcast is all about, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real right there, you know. <laughs> hey, it was good. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hold on. I'm going to go. Thanks.